Hi everyone and welcome to the Inner Healing After Narcissistic Abuse podcast. My name is Jasmine and today I've got a very special guest on the show for you. Um, I'm very excited because this is uh, my first interview with a narcissistic abuse thriver and survivor and I'm really excited to share um, this lady's story with you. So I first met Jackie at one of my meetups last year and I was really inspired by her story and I think you're going to get a lot out of this episode today and I'm really excited to get straight into it. So welcome Jackie. Thank you. It's good to be here. Great. So let's get into it. Um, I'd love to know kind of a little bit about your background. Where did it all begin and how did you meet your ex-narcissist? Okay, um, I met him um, at um, the Charles Hotel, actually, in, in uh, Perth or North Perth, I think it is. Um, I was with a girlfriend and he was with a friend. And what were your first impressions of him? Oh, um, yeah, he, was, he seemed really, really nice guy. I mean, he, he was dressed really well, um, you know, super smart. Um, he came across as being very... Um, respectful, um, considerate, um, very much a gentleman actually, uh, and yeah, it was certainly a good first impression. And so, how did the relationship kind of progress? Did you, um, you know, take your time to get to know him, or did things move very quickly for you? What was your experience? Okay, well, um, he actually um, worked in a, um, a town. Um, in the northwest, uh, um, a mining town in the northwest, and um, so I'd sort of, you know, met him that night. We went to the casino uh, for a few hours, and then, um, you know, uh, went down to Fremantle to, to, you know, have a few drinks with um, him and his friend and my friend as well that night. And he had to go back to um, the northwest. Uh, a couple of days later. Um, I started getting all these flowers and phone calls and everything. And and at the time I was in the process of moving anyway. Um, and he asked me to go up there for a couple of weeks to spend just to spend a couple of weeks there and um, you know just as friends, which is what I did. Um, and after a couple of weeks he asked me to stay, which unfortunately I did. <laughs> so um, it kind of just went went on from there. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, that, it, it, you know, it, it was just one of those, I don't know, sort of quick romances, I guess. So you found your experience, things moved very quickly and you didn't really spend a lot of time maybe in hindsight actually thinking about how the relationship was progressing and did you find that there were any red flags looking back? Uh. Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, in hindsight, there were a lot of red flags. Um, it was far too much too soon. Um, I didn't realise that at the time. Um, I suppose I just, you know, I mean, the old soulmate came, got rolled down. I mean, that's usually, you know, what happens. It seems to be one of their um, favourites. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, he was, he was still very kind, very polite. And I actually did think that I'd, I'd met my soulmate, um, but it, it all happened too quickly. Um, I think I was only with him for six weeks when he asked me to marry him, which, of course, you know, is far too soon. Um, I didn't really know him, of course, at that stage, and it was 
Um, that should have been a big, a big red flag, but I didn't realize that at the time. Um, and yeah, little things sort of started to happen after that that didn't seem like a big deal at the time, but they, you, you know, collectively they were. Um, and, you know, we did get married, although um, I always had the gut feeling that there was something wrong, couldn't, couldn't identify, you know, what it was. I didn't know how, why I felt that way. Um, yeah, so we got married and it was, you know, shortly after that, after we got married, that the red flags really started to show very slowly, but they did start to show. So, so you <laughs> had met him, you went up north to see him and you kind of moved in very quickly with him after six weeks, you said you got engaged. So in what time frame then did you get married? Okay, well, I'd actually met him in September. Um, I went up uh, north in, in October um, and we got married um, beginning of April the following year. Um, so basically it was only six months, yeah. And so in that love bombing, you know, idolisation phase at the beginning, did you find like his behaviour, like obviously you'd mentioned it felt like you'd met your soulmate, did you find you know, was his treatment of you like nothing like you'd experienced before? Did you, you know, looking back, how did you feel and how did he make you feel? Um, well, he made me feel really special, um, you know, to begin with. Like, you know, yeah, like I said, the soulmate, um, you know, he'd never experienced um, this sort of thing before, you know, and I was definitely the one and um, and, and it... it, it it all seemed real. It just, it, it seemed real. It seemed too quick, but it, it seemed real. And it's like, hey, you know, um, if we really are soulmates and we're meant to be together, then it's got to be a good thing, you know. So it doesn't matter if we've only known each other for a few months and we're going to get married. Um, because at that stage, I thought it was really going to work. It, it, you know, I, I didn't see any reason for it not to work. But, yeah, obviously, um, you don't see the red flags or I didn't see the red flags until um, – I did see the red flags, but I dismissed them um, as insignificant. It was only after we got married that it really started to build up after that. And I think that, you know, it's very easy for us to rationalise away kind of the warning signs like we you know like you said you knew that things moved very quickly and um you know in hindsight that was probably too quick but again when we feel like we've met our soulmate when we feel like we finally met the one you know that it it doesn't matter about time you know people can use that as an excuse but i think what's really important uh, for a lot of a lot of us to remember is that a healthy relationship will take its course and I think it's healthy to move slowly and to really get to know one another and to almost, you know, interview the other person and make sure that they are, you know, that they are worthy of being with you, not the other way around, which I think is where we can really fall yeah. in that trap of, oh, this person, like, they want me, like, little old me, like, 
you know, like we feel really You're almost special. grateful, aren't you? That's the thing. That someone's um, that someone's yeah. found <laughs> us, you know. Yeah, um, you know, um, I think it it is it is a time thing. I mean, that you know that that they always seem to want to rush into everything, um, rush into intimacy, rush into uh, marriage. Uh, and you know it, it's 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 strange because you know I look back now and I mean he was 35 years old when I met him um and he'd never been married or anything and I think um you know when I look back over the abnormal behavior um I think he actually just wanted to get married to look to look normal to, to appear normal to to you know hey look I'm I am just like everybody else I you know, I, I can fall in love and, and, and get married and, and be, you know, a normal person. Um, when it, they're just not normal at all. I mean, um, it all seems normal to start with, but because we miss the warning signs, um, particularly if we're codependent or, you know, well, particularly if we're codependent, um, which I was, um, although I didn't realise that either. And it's so easy to just get sucked in and, yeah, it's 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 so easy. So, you know, like the thing is that you should never, ever rush into anything at all, even a friendship for that matter, but definitely a relationship. Yeah. And, you know, for people who haven't maybe come across some of these terms, we will kind of go through and briefly explain. But in particular, you know, like red flags, it was something that I hadn't really heard of before until – quite some time after and I actually personally remember the first time that I felt the first red flag with my ex and it was a really <laughs> strong bodily reaction of you know like almost like a punch in the stomach and and even you know in my chest I, I felt really restricted and tight and I felt like something was really off but you know for people who don't know red flags are really you know these indicators that there is something really wrong you know it is this warning sign so you know, you said that it wasn't really until after you got married that you really started to, obviously in hindsight now, recognise there were some really ma major red flags. What were some of, like, the behaviours of this person that um, made you realise that things were actually quite wrong? Um, well, once again, you're quite right, Jasmine, what you're saying. I mean, you, you, the red flags are there. I mean, this, you know, even before we got married, there was the odd things that he would say or do that, and yeah, there is a bodily reaction to it, you know, sinking stomach feeling, or, or uh, like you said, the, something, you know, pain in your chest or something, you know, that you, you just you just know that it's not right. Um, I think particularly afterward, you know, when we got married, I mean, that's when the 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 gaslighting stepped up, um, and once again, it it was it just odd things that he would say or do or move switches he would you know that he would switch moods um or say something or it, usually something to put me down but it, it, it once again it's very insidious it's really really hard to 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 put your finger on and this is the worst thing about this kind of abuse is because it it, it builds up slowly um and it, it you know it takes time a long time something especially in my case a long time to work out exactly what is happening and it's almost like the, their mood swings become or their uh, flippant remarks or sarcastic remarks become normal. 
what I, what I would call uh, abnormally normal. I'll be making a video on that actually. But, um, you know, it, there were just little things that would happen and um, or things that were said or he would just snap and then snap back into being Mr. Nice Guy. And it was just this seesawing effect of, you know, of, of what what was said and what was done. I mean, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but um, but yeah, it, it because it after a while you're just walking on eggshells anyway because you just don't want to set them off, which is really easy to do with a narcissist. So how long were you together? And you know, did you know? Obviously, you kind of mentioned, but did things kind of progressively get worse? And at what point did you start to think? you know, how do I get out of this? Like, am I in too deep? You know, what what kind of was going through your head at the time when things really started to escalate? Okay, well, um, I was married to him for 24 years. Um, his behaviour definitely got worse in the last, I'd say, four years. Um, the rage attacks got more frequent. Um You know, the the, the cycle got more frequent, the, the you know, the... The love bombing, the the devaluation, the discard, and it, it goes around in a cycle. I mean, you know, if if, if they were um, devaluing all the time, you wouldn't stay with them. It's this sweet mean cycle going on. And the thing is, between the sweet and the mean, it gets um, it 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 becomes closer together. So you know, they can be nice to you for a day, and then they can just sort of ignore you or ghost you or um, have a rage attack um, and expect you to just deal with it. And if you do complain, they're, they're just going to um, turn it all around on you. And, and you're living in this constant fog. You really don't know what's going on. Um, and I, I didn't know, like I said, I, I was 24 years. What actually led up to me um, discovering what was going on was actually I just Googled um you know, whatever odd behaviour, um, started Googling. And um, I discovered it that way. And when when I uh, realised I was married to a covert narcissist and I saw the description for it, uh, well, it was, um, you know, the red pill moment. It's like, oh, my God, now I know what I'm dealing with because it was just so clear. And, you know, when you kind of made that discovery, what was kind of going through your head and how long did it, you know, did you kind of, stay until you know you kind of made the choice to leave and were you in denial for a while about what you discovered I know for me that's something that you know I actually probably was in denial for about two years and it's it, it's a really challenging space to be in because you know you're 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 moving between these conflicting ideas of wanting to stay in denial and rationalise their behaviour, but then also you go down this rabbit hole of really learning about, you know, everything that you can find online about narcissistic behaviour. And I remember constantly looking at the checklist, constantly going through and going, no, yeah, he's definitely this. Like I kept having to remind myself and because I was in denial, I didn't want to accept it as soon as I'd found out, you know, what kind of was your experience? Uh, yeah, absolutely the same. I mean, when I first found out about it, I, I can remember um, – you know, uh, the first thing that came up was overt narcissism um, or overt narcissist, which d definitely didn't describe in any way. Um, but as soon as I read the, the covert narcissist checklist, it was like, wow, that's that's describing me completely. Yeah, but I didn't. But then 
because you're usually suffering from cognitive dissonance anyway, um, I kept on, yeah, like you, I, I kept wanting to deny it. I kept thinking, no, well, well, well maybe he's not, maybe, but he is, but he's not. It's like you're to and fro and your mind can't, my mind really struggled to cope with it. Um, until another particular incident came up where <clears throat> there was just no denying it. It was, it was really just uh, that, oh, my God moment. Yeah, it's... I can't deny this any longer. He's definitely, he's definitely narcissistic. Um, and really, but what happens when you first find out, I think, is you just end up having a, a, a colossal argument with yourself because you, you, you don't want to accept it, but you know you have to accept it. But then you sort of going, well, maybe am I the narcissist? You know, it's it's just one of those. It's just a horrible thing to go through. But I think for finding out. To actually leaving, um, it took me about four or five months before I actually thought, no, I just cannot deal with this anymore. By that time, my health was starting to fail anyway, and it, it was definitely time to get out. Yeah. yeah. And did you kind of experiment a little bit with behaviour? Like, did you, you know, after you started to educate and learn a little bit more about this personality disorder, did you try and maybe work on yourself a little bit more to balance out you know, his behaviour, what what kind of did you go through in those kind of four months leading up to leaving? Um, the only thing that, that, yeah, I mean, I just I just wanted to find out as much as I could about narcissism, which, which I did. I mean, I, I was on YouTube every day or on Google every day trying to find out because, you know, just looking at the symptoms of, of particularly a covert narcissist, which are the hardest ones to spot, of course, um, you know, I, I just needed to be absolutely sure that what I was seeing was actually what I was seeing. As far as I was concerned, no, it, um, I, I, was tr I was trying to go for a rock. I was trying not to react. Um, I was trying to stay calm um, whenever, you know, the, 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 the word salad and the nonsense, you know, and the rage attacks happened. It didn't really work. I think I was just too emotionally dysregulated at that stage anyway to, to be able to do anything. And, you know, I just want to say that the only way that you can heal from this is to get out, and which is what I did. Um, I got out really quietly. Um, I didn't tell him I was leaving. Um, I just planned it um, and, and left. And it was only – I think it was only after that when I was on my own and I could actually – take a look at myself and, and um, start to understand what actually led up to being involved with one of these people in the first place. And that's, I think, when the healing started for me. Yeah. And so you mentioned that your health was really declining. Did your health, you know, did you kind of hit rock bottom before you left or was it after? You know, what? how did that all play out? Well, I think the stress of it all, I mean, you know, that's, that's when my health was really starting to, to fail because... Um, I started to lose a lot of weight. I couldn't digest food. Um, I had all sorts of intestinal problems, um, adrenal fatigue, and um, I actually ended up in hospital um, in a in a pretty bad way um, just after I left because it just all kind of, you know, became too much. Um, but I think for me, I mean, I survived. Um, I was pretty weak for a while. Like I said, I lost a lot of weight. But for me, that was the start of recovery it was the start of self-love because I realized you know I had to look after me 
I had to start looking after me. So I started with my diet and, you know, that kind of thing. And, and basically nurse myself back to health. Because unless you, you look after your body, your mind will never heal. So that's where self-love should always start, in my opinion. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I've come a long way since um, since that point in time. It hasn't been easy. It, it's been quite painful at times. But it's well worth the journey. Yeah. And, you know, just talking a little bit more about, you know, I think that's what this podcast is really about, that inner healing, that transformation. And we, for a lot of us going through narcissistic abuse, we find that this is really the catalyst for us to awaken, to become conscious and to wake up to, you know, a lot of dysfunction for a lot of us in family dynamics and, you know, to really open up, I guess, to love, to, you know, feeling gratitude for being alive, for, you know, working and being accountable on it for ourselves and for, you know, waking up to a lot of the dysfunction and the inner turmoil, inner turmoil that we experienced for many years. I think that is really a big catalyst and also learning to, learning to be with ourselves. And, you know, for a lot of us, you know, isolation and, um, you know, having people kind of turn against us can really, it, it's really painful at the, at the time, but I think it's really part of what we need to go through mm-hmm. and enable us to learn how to be with ourselves and not having to find someone else to rescue us or to be there for us. Like we really have to be on our own and it really is that dark night of the soul kind of experience. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that's where the world is really waking up, where so many men and women are going through these type of experiences um, because it's what we need as a collective to wake up and to realise our painful past. And, you know, it's also part of that soul's journey that we've basically chosen to take and, and this is the vehicle that we've chosen to wake up to. So, you know, in those early first few months, you know, what was the journey like for you? What... Um, what did you experience? Like you mentioned, it was quite painful. And I know for many of us, that is obviously part of what we have to go through. We have to experience the pain. We have to go down into the depths of the darkness to really transcend the pain and to move through it. Um, and especially in those early few you know, days and weeks and months, I know for me, it definitely felt like a blur. Um, it was really almost, you know, just surviving day by day, um, a lot of us can find ourselves trying to, you know, use things for comfort. For me, that was food and, and it was just almost like survival. And, you know, it can be a really difficult time. And for a lot of people around us who don't even understand what we're experiencing, like it is a really difficult time. And I think it's why so many people, you know, why it takes them so long to leave or why many people don't leave um, because it is a scary, dark time. But you know, I think it's a powerful for reminder to, you know, have these conversations with women like myself and Jackie who have basically taken that road, you know, have taken that journey and who have moved through the pain. Um, but, yeah, I'd love to kind of hear more, Jackie, from what you experienced and, you know, is there some, you know, wisdom that you can basically share with us as to what you experienced? Well, I mean, first of all, once you know about this, you can't, unknow it you can't not know it so it's just the acceptance of what it is what you've been actually dealing with um which is probably the first part of it but the thing is i think i think the reason why a lot of us don't actually leave 
abusive relationships is the fear of being alone. Um, and if we're codependent, particularly, I mean, I was heavily codependent. So, yeah, I had the fear of being alone too. But I think, you know, it, I, it all sort of follows a pattern to a certain extent because when I left, um, I, I didn't really get the support or anything that, that, that I thought that I would, I would get and, and people would understand. No, they don't. <laughs> Generally, unless they've been through it, they don't understand. Um, and you know, after a while, you you got you, you've got the smear campaign, of course, and the flying monkeys. So you've got all these people, you know, sort of smearing you behind your back, and well, the nuts smearing behind your back, and people are, are believing him. And so you really end up in a situation where you've got no other option than to to actually be alone. And you know, that's really a good thing. It, it, it it's what you need to do because. By being alone, by by only to only to a point though, but by isolating yourself, by being alone, you ha then have to face yourself. You have to deal with yourself. You have to ask yourself the really important questions, like, okay, how did this happen? Why did this happen? What is it about me? What was it in me that, or why do I keep attracting these people? Why have I had these um, relationships? You know, you look around, you see. Um, you know, there's friendships or even family um, that are narcissistic as well, but you just didn't, you just didn't realise. Now you do, and that's when you really have to come to terms with like, okay, I've let people in, I shouldn't have let in. Um, the reason for that is because, you know, I didn't know about boundaries, I should have had boundaries, I should have um, been able to speak up, and uh, I haven't, and I've let people walk all over me and use me and abuse me and and it's a really good education. It really is. It's at this point in time that you, you get to know yourself. You get to know what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And you really can move forward from there because, you know, one of the, one of the things I did um, was journal. I wrote down everything, everything that I felt, even if it was just absolute rubbish or it looked like rubbish, it mumbo-jumbo. It was, it was my thoughts. Um, and then the other thing I did also was um, I started writing a list of what I found ac acceptable in somebody. Now, not just necessarily a partner, but friendships and so on. And I also wrote a list of what was, wasn't acceptable to me. And I, I, I read it and reread it and read it until it, it really just soaked into my mind that this is, a, this is what I'm going to do in future. I'm not, I'm not going to accept abuse in future. And this is what I ex expect from everybody. And if they're not prepared to give that to me, well, then they'll just have to get out of my life. And I think at some point you go, wow, you know, I haven't got, there's nobody left in my life. But if you get rid of these people um, that are toxic, it doesn't take too long before you get other people coming into your life that, that, that are healthy, that are mentally healthy. And this is where you really start to, you know, progress in your healing. It's, it, it seems to work along those lines every single time. And I think, Jackie, it's such a great reminder that we have to trust and we have to surrender. And, yeah. like, it really is, like, as painful as that experience is, we, like, we are almost forced into doing that because we don't have anything left anyway. It's mm -hmm. almost like we've got nothing left yeah, to lose. Exactly. So yeah. we may as well surrender. And at that point, it's we, we allow ourselves open to new possibility and new experiences and new people who are going to 
be part of a new positive yeah. life. And I think for many of us, like that is painful to let go of, you know, friendships, relationships, you know, toxic dynamics that we that we're so familiar to. Something that, you know, we talked about before coming on the show was, you know, this idea that we've been conditioned and programmed to, you know, accept and deal with abuse. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it is a painful experience. I mean, there's just no way out of it, though. If you want to recover from this this abuse, unfortunately, you just have to, yeah, like you said, the dark night of the soul, and uh, that definitely happens. Um, but, you know, when you've been through that, there's only one way to go, and that's and that's up, right? Um, and, you, you know, you, you really, once you understand that the whole um dynamic of what happened um and you do go through that you, you do go through the pain and you do you, you know you are isolated but you know you've got to you really got to think well you know i'm on the path to something better now you, you know you often after like you said you know you, you get rid of friendships that you've had for years and years maybe and um but that's okay it's it's i always look at it now it's like well it's a new adventure it's a new life. It's a new beginning. It's a rebirth. It's a, um, just another path that I'm going on. And, you know, rather than look at it with sort of, um, you know, fear, I, I, I now look at it with excitement. It's like, yeah, I, I'm, you know, I, I, can, I can do this. I can do this. And, and when you, you've got to talk to yourself. That's the thing. You've got to tell yourself that you can, you can get over this, you can do this, and you've got to tell yourself time and time and time again, and uh, and eventually you will start to believe it. You do believe it. Yeah, exactly, and I think that positive self-talk, you know, like mm. like I, it's something I talk a lot about and I'm very passionate about is that, you know, creating and fostering this positive sense of self, being with the self, and, yeah, really having this positive mindset and and speaking kindly to yourself. And that's where we really start to do that internal work because no longer are we living in this toxic um, dysfunction, you know, that inner battle that we have always had with ourselves, you know, that inner critic, like it, the, the, the critical part of us is so strong because for a lot of us, we've grown up in very critical family dynamics, a parent being very critical and, you know, possibly, you know, narcissistic as well. And so we've, we've internalised a lot of that criticism and we just continue to play that out. You know, we have over 65,000 thoughts a day and a lot of those are very negative. And we, you know, our, the way our brain works is that, the thoughts that we have, the neural pathways that are created, we we tend to just continue those same thoughts because the neural pathway has been created and it becomes almost like a habit. And a lot of those thoughts are so unconscious that we don't even know that we've got this inner dialogue going all day, every day, you know, and that's part of what we're then creating with another person. They're just a mirror for the way that we've been with ourselves internally. Well, they're on the same vibration, aren't they, really? But, I mean... You know, also, um, the narcissist runs on a program, you know, like it just seems to be this continual loop with them and they just keep playing it out time and time again. But I think what we've got to realise is that we're also running off a program. And we're usually um, running off a program that's instilled in early childhood. I mean, particularly if you have narcissistic or narcissistic, um, uh, narcissist for a parent or narcissistic parents, both. Um, so, you, you know, this program is, is instilled, um, you know, basically from 
time you were born. I mean, you know, you you've learned to be um you've learned to not be who you are because you can't be who you are in front of a narcissistic parent because that's not allowed. You have to be what they want you to be and do what they want you to do. And unfortunately, we carry this from childhood to adulthood. And it, we, we, once again, we're still running on that program. That's why when we do meet the narcissist, we tend to, I think to a certain extent, we tend to parentify them in the sense that we, um, we, we're still in this childhood programming and, you know, being told what to do or, or what's expected of us. And we, we're actually playing out that program with the narcissist. And because, you know, at this point, we really don't know who we are anyway. And th th this is where the problem is. And, <coughs> excuse me, when you, when you, when you leave and you, you go through the healing process, it, that's when you really find out who you are. And it could be for the first time in your life that you know who you are or you find out who you are. And that's why the, the, the isolation, I think, is so important when you first leave because that's the opportunity to get to know yourself, what you want instead of what somebody else wants, which, you know, if you're living, if you've, if you've been in a relationship with a narcissist, it's everything that they want, nothing that you want because they don't care what you want, right? So you need to, you need to find out what you want. And a lot of us don't even know what we want or didn't know what we wanted. And that's what we have to work out. And that, that's, that's just, you know, once again, that's part of the, the, the healing journey. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's such a, such a powerful time in our life and I think a lot of us might you know you know we're scared we want to want, run away or we want to fill our life mm -hmm. with you know activities and kind of distractions so that we can move on but I think that's where a lot of people then get stuck and never actually do the healing work and well, then you never learn you never learn from the experience and you need to that's you know, and we will continue to have these same experiences in, you know, different shapes and forms, whether it's a friendship, you know, family member relationship, um, workplaces, you know, we, we, we continue to play out the same patterns and we, until we wake up. And for a lot of us, we have multiple relationships or marriages where, you know, it's just the same type of person with a different face. And it's this, reminder like if this isn't something that you can just run away from or like move on from if you avoid actually going in and doing the work and that's why I'm so passionate about this idea of inner healing and transformation it is what is needed is for us to move forward with life otherwise we are just going to keep playing out the same patterns well yeah and also I mean if we don't know ourselves and we don't know you know, uh, um, our preferences and, and what we will tolerate and what we won't tolerate. Uh, basically, we'll tolerate anything. And, and you know, then the, that's quite um, happy to um, make us tolerate anything. So we, we've really got to get to the point where, you know, we go, okay, we, if, if you don't know yourself and you don't know what you, who you are, what you want, how you feel, um you're always going to keep attracting these people. I mean, you know, not only relationships, um, and friendships, you know, it's just going to be a repeating pattern. You have to go through the pain. You have to go through the healing process um, if, you, if you want to pre prevent this ever happening again. I mean, there's only one way forward, and, and that's to really know who you are. And I think it's such an important point because – 
even something that I'm still dealing with now and trying to, you know, gently move myself through the process of even just like self-expression and like feeling like I can be myself around other people. It's, I, I feel like I have a good understanding of who I am and what I want and what my beliefs are and values and where I see my life going. But I still find that I have this barrier with people and it stops me from really being close with them because you know, it's obviously in the past that I've experienced that, you know, any time that I was myself, that, that I was punished for it or criticized for it or bullied or excluded. Like we have a lot of rejection and abandonment um, associated with being ourselves. And, and like I said, that's something that I'm really still moving through now. It's learning to be myself and being in safe environments with people um, where I can feel like I can be me. And I think even the meetup group um, that I run here in Perth is has really helped because, you know, I'm surrounded by amazing, powerful women who have been through just as much, if not even more, pain and suffering through narcissistic abuse as I have. And, you know, we have this common ground where we can just be ourselves. And I think it's been such a great supportive environment um, and has really, really helped me as much as I facilitate I just get so much value and, you know, learning and growth from it myself. Yeah, I mean, it does. And, and it's just, it's it's comforting to know that you're not alone in, in this, you know, that, that other people, um, not that you want other people to have suffered, but it, you know that you're not on, you know, you're not alone. Um, just going back to a point, though, that you made before, you know, we're talking about um basically judging I mean or you know the the abuse when you're going through the abuse and you get out of the relationship I think what a lot of us tend to do and I know I did it too was we 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 start judging ourselves we, we actually carry on the abuse from the abuser you know um we start internalizing things that they've said you know um whatever whatever it is whatever insult they've thrown at us or whatever judgment they've made and our internal judge takes over and this is this is the the problem. So instead of being, first of all, we've got to recognise that we've been through this abuse. We've got to accept that. But the thing is, you know, we we shouldn't beat ourselves up over it. We didn't know. We you don't walk into an abusive relationship on purpose. So you've really got to be kind to yourself after this and go, okay, well this happened. Acknowledge it. And um. You know, don't. It's not necessarily feeling sorry for yourself, but you've got to acknowledge that you did go through it, that it was horrendous, that it was hurtful. That, but you know, that's when you go, okay, well, um, I went through it. Now it's time to forgive myself. I forgive myself for going through it because otherwise you're just carrying this around. You know, you don't have to forgive the narc. You don't have to do anything. You, really, what you've got to do is put them to one side. Put them to one side completely. Concentrate on you. And concentrate on getting you well again. And I think that's really, really important. And instead of kind of, you know, um, uh, what's the word? You, you know, you, you're sort of worrying about, you know, the narc and, and what he did and what he's doing. And, you know, like, forget it. They'll keep on doing whatever they're doing. Concentrate on yourself. And I think, yeah, again, it's such a powerful point because, we have spent so much time focusing on them it, mm. it, and you know for most of us our whole life has been centered around other people you know again it comes back to codependency people yeah. pleasing doing everything for everyone else and it's actually such a foreign concept 
for many of us to actually go, you know, okay, who am I? What do I want? What are my needs? What are my desires? You know, they're things that I bring up a lot during our meetups because a lot of the time we've never been in environments where someone has asked us that or whether we've actually asked ourselves that question, you know, those questions. And it, or even cared what we want anyway. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, it's so important to start to have a relationship with ourselves. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, again, it's not something that is really, it's not taught in schools. It's not something that we really learn in childhood, especially not if we've grown up in a dysfunctional household. But, you know, like the only relationship that we will ever have is with ourselves. Like we have to count, out, count on ourselves. And for a lot of us, you know, there has been a level of self-abandonment because of the rejection and the abandonment that we've faced in childhood, um, you know, whether it's been from family or school, you know, other adults in our life, things like that, that we actually have also abandoned ourselves because we've played into and believed the lies and the stories and the critical nature of, you know, the comments and, you know, yeah, punishment. It's what's been instilled into us in childhood. So, I mean, you know, um, that gets internalised. And, and even as an adult, I mean, I think what happens, we tend to, as adults, if we've been um, indoctrinated with this, you know, we, we, we basically been primed for narcissist abuse at some stage later on. And, and we tend to, like I said before, you know, with, with the programming, we, we're still working off that childhood program that's been instilled. Um, and we're still reacting in the same way as we did with a child, you know, we, we go into this fearful state or this fight or flight state or we just freeze because, you know, the, the narcissist is, is having a rage attack or something and we just freeze. Now, what we got to remember is that we're not children anymore, okay? We're adults um, and we have every right to our own opinions, our own personalities um, and we don't have to be afraid anymore. Because it's the fear that keeps us stuck every single time, you know, the fear of uh, rejection, abandonment, whatever it is, you know, the, the fear of being insulted or whatever it is that they're, they're throwing at us or trying to do to us. The only thing, you know, you end up fearing the fear but you, because there's nothing to fear. If you really think about it, there's nothing to fear, is there? Yeah. So, you know, th this is where we have to reprogram us. We... And that, that's the thing. Narcissists can't change. They can't, they, they can't change. Their, their personality sort is fixed and there's nothing that can be done for them. We can. We can change. We can, we can change anything that we want about ourselves. Um, that's the advantage that we have and we will always have over narcissists. Yeah, and I think that, you know, we don't want to look at ourselves as being broken mm -hmm. or that we need fixing, but I think that for many of us, we have this massive opportunity to really grow and evolve and become the version of ourselves that we, we've we always wanted to be, but we just never thought that we could. Just got held back all the time or held yeah. ourselves back, yeah. And so, you know, I even recently was in an experience where I felt really uncomfortable and um, I won't go into too much detail, but basically I kind of going into that experience, I kind of knew what was going to happen because of um, a couple of people that I knew were going to be at this event. And I reminded myself that, you know, that rejection, that abandonment, you know, like these triggers were going to come up for me, but that it was a perfect opportunity for me to lean in and remind myself through that whole experience 
of positive self-talk, of being there for myself. And I ended up having a really great time. And, you know, the behavior of these people played out as it did, as I thought it would, you know, and that was a really intuitive kind of gut feeling that I had because of who I knew they were. But it was interesting because I walked away from that and I walked away feeling good about myself and knowing, you know, I walked away knowing who I was. I knew that I had good intentions. I knew I had good values. I know I'm a good person. But, you know, in the past, I would have totally beat myself up, thought there was something wrong with me, that it was my fault, you know, internalised their behaviour. They've got their own issues and their own triggers and their own reasons for being the way that they were. Um, and, you know, part of that, we have to accept that people are at a different place, you know. But, I, I you know, part of this healing work and this transformation is about, going through it in the moment, going through it in the experiences and having really great self-awareness so that that's when we reprogram and retrain our mind and instill, you know, these parts of ourselves and integrate these parts of ourselves that we've abandoned for so long. I think also it's important to recognise just exactly what those triggers are. Um, if it's abandonment or rejection or whatever it is, you know, you really do have to go back and go, well, well, why why do I feel that way? Why do I feel like I'm always being abandoned or rejected or whatever? This is where we need to go back to discover where this is coming from. And it, it just about always is, you know, it's coming from childhood. So, and it's only by going back and facing it and dealing with it that it, it, once, you, once you can do that, once you've done that, it becomes less and less and less. And you find that, you know, like you were saying, Jasmine, you know, you're in a situation where you thought, you know, these triggers would be activated, right, with, you know, abandonment or whatever. Um, you understand why you feel that way now. So, you know, you can deal with it a lot better. It's when you don't know, when you don't know why you feel a certain way or why you react a certain way that you can't deal with it. So it's so important to understand what do I have a fear of? Once again, it goes back to fear. I have a fear of rejection or abandonment, and that's where we need to heal. That's what we need to focus on to heal. Um, and until we do that, we just can't move forward. Exactly. And, you know, it is a lifelong journey. It's something yeah. that will never, you know, we won't arrive at a destination. It's like with anything in life. But what I think is really, uh, you know, important to remember is that it gets easier and it gets better and, we can have such a better life once we start to move through the pain and we move through our triggers and we start to have really great self-awareness. Um, it's really like a muscle that we just retrain and we, re, we, we you know, create new experiences for ourselves um, and we, we can, you know, react better. We can be prepared when we know, um, you know, well, we how... We respond rather than react. That's, that's the thing. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And... You know, so what, you know, how has life been? I know we've talked a little bit about this, but how has life been for you, you know, in the last kind of six to 12 months after narcissistic abuse? Where do you see your life going? You know, how 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 has life changed for you? And, you know, how do you feel about everything, you know, has, since you've moved through, you know, the majority, I guess, of that, that pain? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's completely different for me now. You know, it's really strange because... Um, I, I just, you know, I mean, for the first six months, I didn't think anything would ever get better for me. You know, I'm just stuck in this total uh, abyss. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's strange now because I think 
because of the healing work that I've done for myself, I think, you know, you, once you get through that, you tend to sort of, I don't know, you just, you just, you're on a higher vibration or something, a higher level of consciousness. And it's, things just seem to fall into place more easily now. I'm not saying everything runs absolutely smoothly. No, it doesn't. But things just start to um, fall into place. And um, my self-confidence has certainly grown. Um, my self-esteem has grown. I know a hell of a lot more about myself now than I ever did, I think. Um, and I've got involved with, you know, different people that are, that are, that are creative and healthy, like Jasmine and, you know, the, the other ladies in the group. So it's been absolutely fantastic for me. And, you know, really, um, I started a YouTube channel. I mean, I never ever thought that I would do that. <laughs> and I'm hoping to, um, actually start, um, build a website as well and, and get some information out there. Uh, the focus for me now is, is just moving forward. Uh, doing the best I can and um, and as much as possible to help other people recover from this. So, yeah, I'm feeling really good and I'm so glad that I'm where I am now. <laughs> That's amazing, Jackie. You know, like, yeah, it's been such an honour and privilege, I think, to kind of facilitate and create space for women to come together to share their story, to be educated, to learn, you know, to be empowered. I think that's, you know absolutely critical and important that we do that and you know just to see how far you've come in this time and you know I've been running the meetup group almost 12 months and in that you know Jackie was you know attended one of my very first meetups and it's just yeah she's you know an you know inspiration to I think so many people and um, I think it's so important that if you have a message to share if you've been through something like this that you too can you know put out information into the world on the internet in whatever way or form that you feel that you would like to do that. Um, it is, you know, the more people that share, the more people that, you know, shine their light and um, really, you know, share what they've been through, the more that it gives other people permission to do the same, yeah, I think, absolutely. you know. Yeah. And it's very confidence building as well, you know, and it's also, um, it's also a good way to, um get things off your chest, I suppose, as well. You know, if you want to share your story or part of your story, um, get it out there because, you know, by doing, you're, you're helping other people while you're helping yourself. And, you know, it, it doesn't get any better than that. You know, it doesn't. Like, it's great. You know, you have to do your own self-work and help yourself. But if you're helping somebody else in the bargain, awesome. And I think, yeah, being of service, you know, to others, it's so needed in the world right now. And I think so many people have, you know, amazing gifts to share. And look, if you've been through narcissistic abuse and it's not something that you feel that you want to really share, that then, you know, that that by all means is, is fine. But if you've got other skills or talents or, you know, elements of what you've been through that you want to share with the world, it's so important and it's so needed. And it's just the best feeling in the world being able to help others. You know, I think we're going to continue to lift and raise consciousness in the world and in humanity by doing things like this. Yeah, absolutely. Lift the vibration. Hopefully the vibration of the planet, you know, exactly. we starve the Nazis out. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, you know, before we finish, I'd love to kind of get your take on, you know, what advice would you give men, you know, and, you know, men and women wanting to leave, you know, an, a possibly abusive, toxic relationship, you know, possibly with a narcissistic individual, what would you say, you know, what, what advice would you give for someone who's 
you know, just starting to learn more about, you know, narcissistic personality disorder and, and you know, trying to decide if they are like that or if they want to leave, you know, what advice would you give for that, those early stages? Okay, well, first of all, I'd say, um, I mean, narcissism is on, a, is on a scale anyway, you know, I mean, I think, most, uh, well, a lot of us have narcissistic traits of some sort, but if it become, if it's a, mal, a, a malignant situation, you, you're dealing with a malignant narcissist, particularly the covert narcissist. Um, if you recognise that that's exactly what you're dealing with or you're living with, um, and you, you, you know without a doubt that that's what you're dealing with, the only advice I can give is get out. Um, you need to get out of the relationship. You will never heal while you're in a relationship with a narcissist. If you do that, though, um, if, you, if you decide to leave, get out quietly, plan it. Don't um, tell them what you're doing um, because even if they haven't been violent enough until now, that could be one thing that sparks them into a total psychotic rage. So it's, you know, if you if you plan to get out, get out. Um, but if you make that decision to get out because you do know for sure that that's what you're dealing with, um, don't go back. Uh, that's the worst thing you can do. If you go back, you, you're out. It's just, it's, it's just going to get worse. The, the, the abuse will get worse. So make sure you, you, you know, you, you realise that, that this is what you're dealing with. You need to get out. Get out quietly. Um, block them. Don't go looking on their Facebook page. Don't go reacting to any smear campaign. Um, I made that mistake in the beginning. I mean, I just reacted, reacted, reacted. You know, I was just so, such an emotional wreck. Um, in hindsight, you know, that, that, was totally, that was totally wrong, you know. Um, so that's why, you know, I always give the advice, if it's really, really hard, don't react. Get out, stay out, no contact, uh, unless you've got kids and then, you, you know, you, you don't have any choice, I suppose. But if you do have a choice, just walk away and don't look back. I think that's such powerful, um, you know, advice. I think, you know, depending on your situation, it can take a lot of planning and preparation mm -hmm. and time and, you know, maybe that involves you getting a job or saving money or having to study something to even, you know, get a job. Like, you know, I have heard stories of women who it, where it has taken a couple of years or so for them of really quietly planning and staying and being patient before yeah. they're able to leave. But I think once you commit and you make that decision, um, it's really important to keep moving forward. Education, again, is so important. You know, it's something that I'll continue to talk more about on the show. Um, and, you know, join a support group wherever you're located. Um, you reach out. There's so much information online, so many resources, you know, on YouTube, you know, podcasts. Just get yourself educated and aware and and really find support and of those, you know, that you trust, um, meet new people and, um, you know, be really aware of um, even, you know, withdrawal symptoms, you know, the love addiction um, can be really strong and powerful and, you know, know that, you're, yeah, know that you're powerfully, you know, chemically addicted. Mm -hmm. So if you are experiencing any physical symptoms or, you know, feeling like, you want to go back. No, it's not you that wants to go back to that person. It's like the addiction that wants to go back to the abuse. It's to get that rush, that high and, and kind of feel safe again. The thing is, it's ironic because we weren't ever safe with them and we never really were fully with them anyway. But it's this, yeah, it's this 
false perception that that's actually what we had. I think what we've got to remember too is that, you know, you 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 think you're missing them, you think you're in love with them or, what, you know, whatever the case is, but you're not. You're actually in love with an illusion because 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 that's all it is. It's just a mask. Um, so there's, there's no real person behind that mask to be in love with. And they can't love anyway. They can't feel love. They, they don't have that. They don't have the capacity. You know, it's uh, it's a bit like, you know, uh, trying to turn a dog into a cat or a cat into a dog. It, it's not going to happen. They're not, they're not capable of, it, of, of any real affection or love or devotion or anything like that. So, I mean, yeah, okay, you know, uh, it, it, it is hard when you first when you first get out but you've as long as you can keep that in your mind that look you know yeah I was I wasn't in love with anything it was just a mask because you know often you, I know in my case I found that when I left um the the person that I was married to uh became a completely different person it, it like the, the the whole image changed you know his whole dem Everything changed. So basically, the mask that he wore with me came off and he put on a brand new mask and now it's a brand new somebody else. What we've got to remember, though, is that that's all it is. There is no real person under that mask. And I think if we can keep that in mind, it really does keep it It makes it a lot easier for us to keep away from them, I think, and stay away. Yeah, definitely. I think it gives, you know, new perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. on the flip side of that, it is really painful because not only are you coming to terms with the fact that you have been abused, you know, possibly for years and what you had wasn't real as such in the sense that it wasn't real healthy reciprocal love, you know. No. It was a false, toxic dynamic playing out and, you know, this is something I'll again explore in another um, episode but it is, it is, there is a lot to come to terms with, but again, remember, you know, to take it day by day, to put yourself in environments where you've got support, where you can educate and learn, and day by day, you start to unravel, and you start to integrate and learn and grow and move through, you know, a lot of the time, a lot of patterns and behaviours that, you know, and wounding that's played out all your life and it's taken many different shapes and forms. And this person has really been a mirror to all of that. You know, I think that is, if, if it's one, you know, I guess positive and piece of advice that I can give, it's that it, it really, it was never about the narcissist. It was always about you and it was always about you becoming empowered and becoming the best version of yourself and a healthy version and positive and confident version of yourself you know it's 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 really strange because i think when anybody that you know that gets out of these really really toxic painful relationships think you know sometimes you think you'll never ever recover from it but you know the flip side is um if you work if you work on yourself you do recover from it and i think you know really i mean looking back now i mean i just think I am so glad that I know about all this. I am so glad that I know about all about me now. You know, not all about me, but I'm, I'm still learning. But you know what I mean? I, I'm sort of learning um, a lot about myself that I, I, I never realised. Um, and it can, you can, you know, if, if people talk about getting revenge on the narcissist, right? I mean, there is only one way to get revenge on the narcissist, and that is to go through the healing 
and to be the best version of yourself, which, you, you know, you can work on that. And just treat them as the clowns that they are because, you know, you get to a point where you look back and you go, you know, you, you, you really, we, we took them so seriously, but you can't, you can't take them seriously because they, they're just some sort of a false illusion, you know, they're, they're not real. And, you know, I think you, when you reach a point where you can sort of look back and go, yeah, that's such an interesting point, Jackie. And I think to wrap it up, you know, what I'd really like to share is that, you know, once you've really done a lot of the inner healing and the transformation, um, that you can really have a new perspective on your experience. You know, it does take a lot of time and by no means is that trying to undermine, you know, your current experience if you're really still in the pain and the suffering of what you've experienced with a narcissistic individual but you know time really does really help with the healing process and while I think it's something that we will always remember and something that will always be with us I think we can have a very different perspective and you know almost really remove the pain and the suffering and the emotion from what we experience for myself I know that I can look back on what I experienced and understand understand it for what it is and for what it was and to really, you know, appreciate that, you know, through pain and suffering can, you know, we can experience growth and transformation. And when we can really transcend the pain and move through what we're meant to move through the, and, and learn the lessons that we're meant to learn, it was all worth it anyway. It was all part of the plan. It was all part of what we were here to experience and, we never would have really been able to run away from it anyway. No, I think really if you, you know, you get to a point where you um, you realise that if you turn this experience around to benefit yourself, then basically it's been worth going through it. It doesn't feel like it at the time when you are going through it. But I think, you know, once you get to the end of that long dark tunnel, um, you realise that, you know, you, you've learned so much from it and really... As bad as it's been, it's all been worth it at the end. If you heal, it's all worth it. I totally agree. And thank you so much, Jackie, for being um, on the show today. My pleasure. And um, if you'd like to learn more about uh, the Meetup Group in Perth, um, please do check out the website. Uh, you can find more details at www.afeelinglife.com. And I look forward to speaking to you soon. Bye, everyone. Bye.